I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Okay, Jam. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Okay. Uh, different can be scary, so but also cool. So, scary, definitely, but good. Okay, good. Okay. I'm good for good, okay. different. Yeah, definitely good, different. So... I was trying to decide on an episode topic, and the reason that I am always excited for our episodes is because I choose topics that I'm excited about, because that makes for a good podcast episode. I t- totally get that. You being excited about it, being excited about the research, being excited about writing it, putting it together, makes yeah. it fun, which makes the, the experience for the listener better also. Right, 100%. So I had all these episode ideas, and I just wasn't feeling any of them. And then our friend and my neighbor, Miriam, who loves to ask science questions but never listens to this podcast, so we are mad at her for that. Yeah. (laughs) Because she asks questions and then won't listen to our answers. Yes, but she did bring ice cream sandwiches to our small group yesterday, and so... You kind of have to balance those things out, you know. Ooh, that's kind of fun. Yeah. So like, yes, <laughs> she doesn't listen. Ice cream sandwiches. Wow. Yeah, she doesn't listen to podcasts, but she does bring things like ice cream sandwiches places. So who's to say, you know? She also did really significantly aid in the completion of my dissertation draft, which we'll talk about at the end. Got it. So she does kind of balance out some of her sins, so to speak. A hundred percent. So she walked by and she was giving me some episodes ideas and I was like, meh, meh, meh. And then she said, what about the chemistry of tears? Like how tears look different under a microscope based on like what caused the tears. Whoa. I never even heard that. I hadn't heard it either. So I went and looked it up and it turns out that that is a little bit incorrect, but also a little bit, not the microscope part, but... Tears do look sort of different based on different situations or they are composed of different things. Interesting. And then I learned that tears are so much more. I I don't know why maybe this is kind of naive, but I was just sort of functioning under the assumption that tears were salt and water. Yes, same. And that mostly that's what was in our eyes. Yeah, same. I've always thought that too because basically that's my understanding of what like contact solution is. Right. And so I thought that must be basically what tears are because my eye right. is very um, accepting of this liquid. <laughs> right. You know? Of course. That Yes. That was my exact same thought process. Yeah. Yeah. No. There is so much chemistry in the liquid of our eyes and it is so much more. There is salt and water, but there's so much more than salt and water in our eyes. And there is so much more to tears than salt and water coming out of our eyes. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So there's only a small chemistry lesson in this, but everything I'm going to talk about is facts about the chemistry of our eyes. So it's kind of, that's where it's kind of different. Yeah. And the chemistry lesson is one that you've actually already had several times. So it's kind of just a new application of an old lesson. Okay. 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 So let's get into it. Okay. First of all, in our eyes, there's constantly what's known as like a tear layer. And I'm, I apologize in advance to ophthalmologists or people who 
who study eyes. This was my best interpretation. If I'm oversimplifying it or if I'm not using the proper terms, I'm doing my best. And please feel free to write in on a Q&R. We love to hear from you. Yes. But I did get this from a textbook about um, the physiology of crying, basically. Okay. Okay. Seems legit. So there's what's known as what I saw in literature in this book as a quote unquote tear layer okay. in our eyes. And this is actually made up of three smaller layers. Okay. And they are very, very, very thin. So a micrometer. So like a very small fraction of a meter. There's a mucus layer that's the closest to our eyeball. That's one micrometer. Okay. I don't really 100% know what mucus is. So... The chemistry of that one, I'm a little unclear on. I'm assuming, based on the texture of it, that it's nonpolar. And then the next layer is an aqueous layer. So that's most likely made up of water and salt. Mm. Usually when things are called aqueous, that's water base with things dissolved in it. Okay. And that's actually the thickest layer. It's 5 to 10 micrometers. So it's significantly thicker than the mucus layer. Mm. And then the very thinnest layer, the outermost layer, that's closest to the outside world is a lipid layer. And lipids are fats that are nonpolar. And it's about 0.2 micrometers thick. So a fraction of a fraction of a millimeter, basically. Wow. Dang. So very, very thin. And I didn't know that there was fats in our eyes. That's amazing to me. Yeah, seriously. Dang. So within all of those tiers, the tier layer mixed up, there is a mixture of electrolytes. So um, like sodium, potassium ions, uh, maybe chlorine, uh, other things like that. So basically salts is what we would call them. They're just ions that float around in the positive and negatively charged states that counteract each other and interact with each other. Mm -hmm. And then there are also organic molecules, but they're pretty small organic molecules. So they're not really like big polymer type molecules. They're small like glucose, urea, other hormones, and then some of these fats are in our eyes. Okay. And there's also proteins, and some of those proteins are enzymes that are in our tear fluid. Yeah. There are more than 400 proteins that have been identified in human tear fluid. Dang. Wow. 400 different proteins. Dang. I don't think I even knew there was 400 different proteins that existed. I don't know a lot about biochem. I was not in the best place as a student that year. Right. And I know even <laughs> but that's less. that's amazing. Yeah. So 400 seems really impressive to me because I hadn't. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's amazing. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. And one thing that I really like, is this is a direct quote from a paper, uh -huh. is a 2011 paper. And it's kind of on theme lately, like when we talked about lobsters with how much there's left that we don't know. Mm. The quote is, our current understanding of the repertoire and function of tear film proteins remains limited. Dang, weird. And so 2011, they published a statement that these are pretty, we have a pretty limited understanding yeah. of what's going on in our, in our, in a peer reviewed journal. So in our scientific 
collective understanding is very limited. Wow. But what got me so excited about that is that means that our tears are like a variety of chemicals. They're just a bunch of chemicals floating around in our eyes, just a bunch of molecules that are polar and non-polar. <laughs> there's, there's salts, there's organic molecules. I, that's just so cool to me. Yeah, yeah. Dang, that is crazy. So, it's like so easy, easily overlooked too. It's just like yeah. not the thing that most of us would ever think about. We would, we would all assume it's really simple probably and yeah, just never think it's complicated. Never think there'd be a bunch of layers, a bunch of proteins, all that stuff. And so much research about tears. Yeah. So now I want to ask you, to, this is your chemistry lesson and this is, I do want to say, this is chemistry off the cuff. So I could not find a peer-reviewed journal article that confirmed this, but I'm very confident or pretty confident in why this happens in my own understanding. Okay. Okay. Can you think of a reason why the lipid layer and the aqueous layer can stay separated in our eyes? Um, it sounds like it would be because the aqueous layer is polar because it's made of, of, of a bunch of water and then the lipid layer is nonpolar. Because it's made up of fats. And without something to help those things interact, they do not want to in any way interact. Exactly. I'm so excited. I had a feeling you'd be able to get that. You've learned so much chemistry over the course of listening to this show. Also, there's like this part of me that I don't remember a lot of like biology stuff or whatever, but I know that the outer layer of cells like animal cells and human cells that are mm-hmm. are um that we have is is a lipid layer that keeps mm, the cell yeah. together keeps things in and keeps other stuff out and you know just basically keeps it yeah. being a cell and keeps it everything from just yes. falling apart and going everywhere so that the lipid bilayer yes so that's mm-hmm. kind of in my brain somewhere still of thinking to like, oh, that those make great layers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Lipids make great layers. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't connected it to that. That's a, that is a good point. So yes, I agree. I think it would have to do with two things. I think they may be actually secreted by different glands into our eyes, mm. but it would also probably have to do, I would think with density, letting them separate as well. I guess it's mm. vertical though. So that kind of makes it hard, but Yes, so those two things don't like to interact because the intermolecular forces between polar and nonpolar molecules are difficult. So if this is your first time ever listening to Chemistry for Your Life, we have spent a lot of time talking about polar molecules and nonpolar molecules. And essentially, polar molecules have an uneven distribution of electrons, making there be some positives and some negatives parts, just like a magnet on your molecule. And nonpolar molecules have the electrons totally evenly distributed. So there's not really a positive or negative portion. You can get a temporary, like, induce the electrons to move around a little bit. But for the most part, they're evenly spread around. And so this is totally neutral, this nonpolar thing. And then this polar thing is partially positive, partially negative. And so those things don't really have a good way of interacting together. So they stay separate. And you have probably seen that in your everyday life if you've ever added oil to water for boiling pasta or if you've ever seen oil slicks sitting on top of water in a parking lot. They just don't like to interact. 
And so that's my guess as to how the lipid bile or the lipid bilayer. Look, you got me thinking in Sorry. that term now. <laughs> that's my guess of how the lipid layer on our eye stays separate from the aqueous layer. And then I think probably the mucus layer is also nonpolar to an extent. It's a guess. That's a guess. I did not look into what mucus is made up of because I'm getting a PhDM on a limited time scale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that would so, seem to track because if it was if it if it was also polar, you'd think it would mix with the aqueous layer. Right. You'd think that. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. That was that was my thought. Yeah. It seems solid, you know, for now. So <laughs> that right there, that's your biggest chemistry specific lesson of how chemistry is playing out in our eyes mm. in a functional way. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, I, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about people who get like a dry eye or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought like, just squirt some saline in there. But it makes sense that like, if something's going a little wrong with the layers of stuff in your eyes, um, you can't just squirt some salt water in. There's this right. balance of these layers that is what keeps yeah. our eyes healthy and functioning well and right. not feeling dry and all that stuff. So it makes sense that it's kind of a hard problem to solve. That chemistry is when it's working, it's probably in this delicate balance or whatever. Right. And when it's not, how can we, we can, it's not easy to replace, I'm sure, you know. Right. And I would also guess because lipids usually are higher molecular weight. So that means they're usually harder to evaporate. Mm. Um. I think that's the proper connection there, but lipids usually don't boil off as high of a, as easily as water does. Mm. So I would also guess that the lipid layer on our eyes helps keep them moisturized to a degree. Although there is a continuous production of tears and we're never building those up. So there probably is some water loss through our eyes as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the chemistry lesson. And actually the rest of it is sort of going to be fun facts-y-ish okay. <laughs> since you earned it because you made a really good educated uh, guess about why these layers are going to be separate. And I love that you've that, got your chemistry brain. Yeah. And I love that like some of these basic chemistry building blocks that have come around so many different lessons become more and more familiar every time. And mm-hmm. especially like the polar nonpolar thing, which was like episode one. Yeah. yeah. I love how many times that's been either the main part or a significant part um, yes. of different chemistry lessons and how many times the same principles are used and helpful and apply in so many different yeah. scenarios. So just super cool. It is super cool. And it's exciting to me that you started to internalize some of those and can predict situations when those things are going to come into play yeah okay so here's some of the fun chemistry facts it's still just all about the chemistry of our eyes okay so first we've talked something similarly to this in our episode about sweat but similar to sweat Changes in tear film fluid, so the literal tears in our eyes, changes in the chemistry of the tears in our eyes can result from both eye disease or bodily diseases. Oh. So researchers are working on sensors that can use tears to detect health conditions. Oh, wow. And I saw one for diabetes and I saw some for um, 
for patients who were in a vegetative state after, like after going through some kind of traumatic incident, that the the chemistry of the tears physically changes. Dang. Isn't that amazing? That is so strange. I feel like if I read that on the internet, I would have not have believed it, you know? Right. And I feel like it is sort of an untapped potential because it's like, well, we're not, we're poking people's bodies, getting their blood out and looking at their chemistry that way. But we could possibly just like do a somewhat non-invasive procedure where we take a little bit of their tear and, and like just be able to do a sensor that way. Yeah. But it makes sense that it's like, there is this bodily fluid that is already outside of our body, like right here, that easier to get to in some ways that might have Mm -hmm. similar data about how we're doing. Like you think about it more, it makes sense, but I would not have assumed that at all. Yes. And they can also make people cry using, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but irritating agents. So one study I found used the vapors from freshly cut onions to make people cry to gather their tears. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. That was kind of an older one though. Yeah. And then another study so, they used, um, any movies where uh, animals die. Oh, tragically. no, literally actually. <laughs> oh, really? So let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> yes. So tears are typically categorized into three different kinds. There's basal tears, which are the ones that are, I would s- describe them as kind of maintaining that tri-layer okay. situation they're always produced. They're the tears that are keeping your eyes in healthy condition all the time. Okay, okay. And then there's what's known as reflex tears, which are in response to a physical eye irritant. Mm. So an irritant such as onion fumes or there's other, I think they're called lacrimating agents because it comes from a the a, something called the lacrimonial gland, I think, uh-huh. in your eye. Uh-huh. Um, so those agents can trigger your eye to produce tears or even like smoke will make my eyes water, right? Like if you're around a campfire. Yeah. So those are known as reflex tears. They're physically get, they're flushing something out of your eye. Got it. Got it. And then there are emotional tears and those emotional tears are in response to emotional stimulus, either happy or sad. Yeah. And researchers actually think that humans are the only species which has tears that are triggered by emotion. Hmm. So that's very interesting. And there's a lot of research into what that purpose could have been. Like what, what role did that play in evolution that we (laughs) maintained that? Yeah. Yeah. And then also the protein content of emotional tears is different than that of irritant tears. Mm. So there was a study, it was from longer ago. I think it was the seventies where they literally did what you described. So they, used onions to make people cry and collected those tears. And then they played really sad movies to make people cry and collected those tears. And they like what made them wash their face. There was no makeup. So like nothing was um, going to be like, Oh, contaminating the uh, contaminating the sample. Right. Yeah. There was a higher percentage of women than men. There was like only four male participants and 24 female participants. And they compared the protein content based on the individual person before and after. And there was on average a 24% increase in the protein content of emotional tears than irritant tears. Oh, okay. And it was a statistically significant increase. So sometimes it's like, oh, this is a, people will say significant, like, oh, this is large or like notable. Yeah. 
but you can run statistics to compare one sample to another and see if there's a statistical level that this is unlikely to have occurred as a result of coincidence. Right. And statistically, it was found that this is unlikely to have occurred as a result of coincidence. There is a statistical significance in protein and emotional tears versus irritant tears. Wow. Dang, dude. So that comes back to our friend Miriam said, different tears look different under the microscope. And there is some truth to that. So um, because there's different protein content and different kind of tears, they are going to dry differently and look different if you look at them under a microscope. And there's also different salt contents and salts can crystallize differently. However, this is kind of a myth that was started because a woman started to take an artist would take her dried tears and put them on a microscope slides, like take a tear on a microscope slide, let it dry and look at it under the microscope. Uh-huh. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. But it's not scientifically based that this tear is different than this tear under the microscope. And we can look under the microscope and see that yeah. this tear is a grief tear or this is a happy tear. We there's not there wasn't that. Right, right. But it does seem like emotion tears and irritant tears, there's some there's scientific evidence that's clear that they are different from each other. Yes. But it's not like we can look under a microscope and the structure is different enough that just under a microscope, we can tell what tears were from what. Yeah. Or like which emotion it was or. Right. There's nothing like that. It's just emotion tears are different than physical reflex tears. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Interesting. Even more interesting is it appears that emotional tears are believed to be a chemical signal known as a modulator. Which means they basically act similar to a pheromone. They can modulate or um, control, basically, chemical responses in those around them. So like pheromones are how ants and other insects can communicate with each other, and humans have some of that as well. Uh uh So one study found that they, they had women cry based on a movie, it was emotional tears, they collected those, and then they had a saline solution that was made up of a similar protein content as tears. Yeah. And they made men specifically smell the saline and the tears, and there was no smell difference. Mm-hmm. But then they tested, all, so that the men could not distinguish which one was tears and which one was saline. It was like they were wrong every single time they guessed, basically. <laughs> It was like 50-50. Yeah. You know, it was like to the point where like this is statistically random, yes, basically. Yes, yeah. And then they started testing physical responses and they found that men's testosterone and their level of sexual arousal or attraction to pictures of women shown on a screen went down after consistently, statistically significantly after smelling the tears versus smelling the saline. Whoa, wait. So the tears lowered their yep. response to photographs of and their attraction to wait, say that again? Yes. So they had pictures of women shown uh-huh. and they rated their attractiveness level uh-huh. and their attractiveness level went down after the men had smelled the tears versus when they showed them after they smelled the saline. Okay. Same picture on different days. Got it, got it. Interesting. And then physically, their testosterone levels in their saliva went down significantly. Huh. So even though they can't tell, consciously tell the difference yes. of saline and tears, it is affecting right. them um, yes. unconsciously and 
that was pretty able to be proven by how they yes both the testosterone levels and how they rated these photos yeah huh so there's not a detectable smell in tears but there is a chemical signal in the tears that communicates to the male body lower your testosterone levels uh-huh whoa I don't get that. Right? Like, I mean, I'm now I'm like, wait, so what advantage does that have? Or like, what purpose does that serve? Who knows? Maybe they didn't find an increase in empathy. Mm. That was my first thought. I was like, maybe when other people cry, your testosterone levels need to come down so that you can be more empathetic yeah. or something. Right. Yeah. So I can't figure it out. I can't, I don't know what the advantage of that would be, but it does appear that tears don't only serve as like an emotional release for us, but they are literally chemically signaling to those around us Yeah, and having a physical impact on their body chemistry as well. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's not necessarily increasing empathy, but if you're decreasing, if you're able to decrease hostility or something like that, maybe, maybe that's all that the earliest humans were trying to accomplish with it. You know, it's like, right. I'm, I'm, fearing for my life. So I'm crying and I'm hoping that that eases your hostility toward me and please don't club me over the head with your, your club or whatever people used. Right. Yeah. Incredible. Isn't that wild? Yeah. That is so wild. Goodness gracious. I did not expect there to be so much interesting stuff about tears. (laughs) I know. Well, there's more. Whoa. So moving over to the forensic side of chemistry. Uh There is very recent evidence that tears contain cells shed from our eyes, epithelial cells in our eyes, that can be used to find DNA evidence. So if you're at a crime scene and someone cried either due to irritants, Mm. like a reflex tear, or due to emotions, Uh if that has been wiped on a tissue, if it's been wiped on a fabric, there is a possibility that they can use the shed tears to to obtain enough cells to get DNA evidence out of it. Wow. Dang. Interesting. Which I guess I know. also kind of tracks with other other things we leave behind, other bodily, you know, fluids or cells or whatever. But it's it is fascinating to think like, oh yeah, tears. Because they're not just salt water. So they've got stuff in there that could right. trace it uh, to us or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Dang. So that's that's the biggest thing on tears. That's that's some chemistry of the of human tears. Wow. So Miriam was both right and wrong, and she'll never know because she won't listen to this episode. Yeah. But it was a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> so I I really had fun researching this. This was the thing that got me excited when I when I was not sure where I was gonna go with our episode. Yeah, I think that's cool. Speaking of excited, I alluded to this. And also speaking of Miriam, I alluded to this earlier, but I'm going to switch gears into a review of our week. Nice. And I'm going to go first because it relates very closely. Okay. So I'm not sure if I mentioned that I was going to do this last time we recorded or not, but my husband and I booked a cabin in Oklahoma for me to go and write my, um, my dissertation and finish up everything that needed to be done. And he was there for a few days and then he had to go back to work. And so Miriam came with her two dogs and stayed with me because it's really in the middle of nowhere. There was not even a deadbolt on the lock. I would have been really scared there by myself. Oh, dang. Yeah. (laughs) So I needed 
companionship. <laughs> so Mason left and Miriam came in as relief. And um, just she just hung out with me. Both of them just hung out with me all day while I worked for eight to ten hours a day on my dissertation. And I came out on the other side of it with a completed first draft of my dissertation. Dude, nice. I also felt so rested because there was no cell service in that cabin. There was no Wi-Fi in that cabin. I had to work or rest. (laughs) There was no mindless scrolling. There was no watching TV. We had campfires. We made s'mores. We just sat on the porch and looked at nature. I mean, it was really, really so restful and beautiful and I highly recommend it. So I came out feeling like a fresh new person and also having a big weight off my shoulder of the first draft of my dissertation written. Yeah, yeah. And by the time this episode airs, I think I'll be within just a few days of turning my completed dissertation with edits and everything into my committee. Yeah, yeah. So that's really exciting. We're coming up on the end. That's awesome. And it worked. I mean, like that plan, obviously seems great on paper to go out and get away from everything, but I'm so, so glad it worked so well. It worked so well. It was such a nice restful time. It was so nice to only have to worry about my dissertation. I didn't have to worry about maintaining my house. I didn't have to worry about laundry, about we had brought all the food we needed. So we knew what we were eating every single day, you know? So it was like, I just woke up, got ready for the day, worked. Yeah had a little smoothie and worked and then had lunch and then worked some more and then had a dinner break. And maybe I worked after dinner or maybe I just rested after dinner, but all the meals were so nice because it was just like in nature and eating our food on the porch. It was really, really so special. So that was my really exciting thing for this week. I couldn't wait to tell the listeners because I know they're, they're pulling for me. They're in this with me. (laughs) Yeah. So it's such a weight off my shoulder. I feel like a totally new person. So thank goodness for that. Dude, that is great. Congrats. And you're getting closer and closer every time we get to share with listeners where you're at. There's, you know, new ground covered. Um, and it's a week or two or three closer to you being done, which is awesome. I know. And when we started this podcast in 2019, I was like, oh, she's getting her PhD. And now we're within, you know, a month of being able to say Dr. Collini, which is wild. Yeah, dude, that is wild. <laughs> Does not feel real. So that is my exciting thing for the week. I'm so glad to have happy news to share because for a while I was like, I'm really having a hard time. I've got a lot on my shoulders. And now I'm like, oh, we're so close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so very exciting. So that's my happy thing. That's my a little bit of my weekend review and update for me. How about you? I feel like because I've been in this dissertation land, I haven't heard much about what's going on in your life lately. Yes. So, okay, a couple things. I don't really have like one thing, but um, the most boring thing that I won't even go into detail about is that um, just that feeling you get that feels so good when you've already finished your taxes for the year. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, I've been feeling that. Is a good feeling. That. I did a did it in one intense stretch of time on Monday this week. Nice. Um, when people hear this, they'll be like, "You did it late," but it's I did it in time. Don't worry. Yeah, and, we're ahead of the curve right now. Yeah, yeah. And the second thing that most already knows that is not news to a lot of people in my life, but news to you guys is that my wife and I are having a second kid. Ah! 
It's been so hard not to talk about it on the podcast. So that's <laughs> sorry if that was not a happy noise to our <laughs> listeners. I have I'm so excited. So that's been obviously a thing that, you know, takes up a lot of my thought space and time and a lot of things that Marf and I are working on and planning about or whatever. It's, you know, so um that's super exciting. It is so exciting. And then the third thing is not as exciting as that, but just a cool change in my week to week life is that a friend of ours, um, that most of our friends with who used to be her roommate, Nicole. Um, yes, we have been Captain Nicole photography check her yeah, out. She's awesome. So we've been doing this thing. So Nicole and her husband have a son who's almost exactly one year younger than my son. And so, but both Nicole and I do this thing where we work and mold our work around watching our kids you know our kid yes and so what we started doing a couple weeks ago is something we called it baby swap but it's not really very accurate i guess it's kind of it's kind of a confusing title but basically it's that on for about three hours on one day i watch both of the boys and nicole gets three extra hours of work time then at a different day the same week she does that and i get three extra hours of work time Baby swap. It is sort of, but we're not literally like, it's not like wife swap. We're like, I take your baby, you take yeah, mine. Yeah, that's like true. Like that show that was dumb. It's like toddler swap also because neither of them are really babies yeah, anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Their son is, yeah, still a baby in a lot of ways, but um, not not so different from my son. They can have some things they can kind of do together a little bit, you know. So anyway. And that's probably really good for them to be able to hang out with each other developmentally. You know, siblings can like push each other to try new things and stuff. Yeah, and learn to share and all kinds of stuff. But right. also the fact that like we both benefit and have such similar yes. lives and like getting an extra three hours any time in the week that I can work and that Nicole can work is a, enough amount of time to like really make a difference. So also I saw some pictures. There's a few baby or toddler children photo streams, I guess, because it's like you don't want to put everything about your child on social media. Yeah. So we have some like groups of friends that are on photo streams, which is an incredible way to do it. Because whenever I don't have Wi-Fi or whatever, I can just creep around on babies and be like, oh, they're so yeah, cute. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have Facebook. There's not like a big social media that we're all on. Yeah. And it is adorable to see them playing with each other. Dude, yeah, it is so funny. Yeah, so some of those it's pictures so you saw are from one of the baby swap times where... From baby swaps, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's one of those things where I just think like so much of being an adult is figuring out life and how to balance everything. And so, yeah. you know, that's like never changes really. It just the, the factors you have to balance change. But um, the fact that we figured out some genius way of... It's really Nicole's yeah. idea, so she gets credit of like... I'm already watching a kid, so why not watch a second kid for a few hours so that a different day this week, I cannot watch my kid for a few hours and yes, get work. That's really it's smart. It's like the perfect combination of like, you know, classic it bartering is. and trading of goods and time and whatever services. So. And it gives the rest of us really cute pictures of tiny humans in our exactly. Exactly. So. And it's good for them. And, you know, their son's pretty adventurous and, you know, very, very active. And he's... Yeah got all kinds of energy and y'all's son is a little bit more chill, reflective of the parents, yeah. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just kind of very cautious. Yeah. 
doesn't always want to try new things maybe. And so having them together, I feel like could encourage one to be more cautious and one to be more adventurous. Yes. Yes. And I've thought since, you know, we're having another kid, we're having a son, uh, another one. And so I felt like a little bit of even the ages will be different. Getting practice of having to watch two boys is kind of nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it feels like very relevant um, experience to be gaining. Uh, So yeah. Anyway. Wow. That's really cute. I love that. I'm so happy for both of you that that's working out. And I am really thankful for the pictures that I get to look (laughs) at of them just like hanging out together and like being little tiny humans experiencing life together is really cute. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I love, I love it. And it's crazy that we're at the age where you can say the boys. Yeah, the boys. We're we're the parents and we're talking about the boys. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a parent, but you know, like we're the age group of the parents. Yeah. 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 It is very wow. weird. Yeah. It was, a little, it was a little eerie, but anyway. It is. That's my smattering of of things from my of life updates. Life updates. Exactly. That's very exciting. Well, I'll have a few more life updates coming around the bend. Um Things are going to be changing rapidly for me over the course of the next month, and then they'll be calming down significantly. So um, buckle up, listeners, and then we'll settle into a new routine. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks for coming along with me on this wild ride and for caring about my dissertation updates and the nice messages y'all send on Instagram and Twitter have been so encouraging. It's so exciting to know that I have a whole community who's excited about this next step in my career. So thanks for all of y'all for that. And thanks to Miriam for coming up with really good episode ideas, even though she never learns the answers. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to all of you listeners, too, for coming and learning about tears. This was a really fun episode. And thank you for teaching us. And just like Miriam's idea of asking this question about tears, if you have any thoughts, ideas, or questions that might be chemistry explanations, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Some of the best ideas for episodes come from you guys. So Reach out to us on Gmail, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chem for Your Life. That's Chem, F O R, Your Life, to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, go to ko-fi.com/slash Chem for Your Life, or click the link in our show notes to donate the cost of a cup of coffee. If you're not able to donate, you can still help us by subscribing to your favorite podcast app and rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us to share chemistry with even more people. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. References for this episode can be found in our show notes or on our website. Jam Robinson is our producer, and we'd like to give a special thanks to M. Quapple, who reviewed this episode. <laughs> <laughs>